Podcast 13 is sponsored by WordSprint, helping you stay connected. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. This is Hugh Ballou. Today I'm interviewing uh, David Stanley. David, um, you and I have known each other about 10 years. And um, I met you. We have known each other a little while, Hugh. How are you doing today? I am great. And you and I, I interviewed you years ago, 2007, for my book, Transforming Power, about uh, your leadership skills and putting together a team to do a movie. And your, your themes have been around your brother Elvis, and you're launching an initiative called My Brother Elvis. So give us a little background on who you are and your relationship with Elvis, and why this, this vision is so important to you and to others. Well, let me, let me, let me start off by saying I'm, I'm excited about the new foundation called My Brother Elvis Foundation, which is a charity designed to educate and support and fight against the drug abuse uh, uh, drug abuse problems that we have in America today. Now, some would say to me, Hugh, why would you want to do that? What does that have to do with Elvis? Well, I spent 17 years with Elvis Presley, beginning in 1960, when my mother divorced my father and remarried Vernon Presley, Elvis Presley's widowed father. I became Elvis' stepbrother, and I moved into Graceland in 1960, and I lived there for, for 17 years. <clears throat> this was a great experience. Elvis was a wonderful human being. He took me into his family. He literally raised me, became my father figure, my mentor, the person I looked up to. Uh, it was unusual to be driven to school in a pink Cadillac every day. I got a lot of attention being Elvis' brother. Uh, it was a fairy tale lifestyle. But in 1972, I went to work for Elvis, and when I went to work for Elvis as a personal aid bodyguard, working for Elvis meant being part of his entourage, traveling with him everywhere he went, on tour, concert tours, uh, back lots of movie studios. Anywhere he went, I went. And as I toured and traveled with Elvis Presley, I saw what we call a chink in the armor. Uh, Elvis had a drug problem. Uh, he started out taking a couple of things to sleep, and then that went from two to four, four to six, six days. And by the mid late 70s, Elvis had a very serious drug addiction problem. But unfortunately, we lost Elvis to a drug overdose on August 16, 1977. I was there. I walked in his bedroom, discovered his lifeless body, and then saw this coming. And we're having a very brief interview here. It's very hard to discuss all this in detail. That's why I wrote a book called My Brother Elvis for the Final Years, which is about the final five years of my life with Elvis on the road and the things that we're discussing right now. But as I wrote this book and as I tell this story about Elvis's tragic loss, I thought, I, th I thought to myself, growing up with Elvis, he was such a giver. He was always giving to charities. He was giving his time, his money, his effort, uh, you, know, money, you know, writing checks to different charities throughout the world. Always the giver, that was his ultimate gift. And so that's still over in my life. And I thought, gosh, I grew up with Elvis Presley. I was brought up this way. I saw the tragedy of what drugs can do firsthand. And now I'm telling the story. But along the way, Elvis's death doesn't have to be in vain. Sure, it was a tragedy. Sure, he was a wonderful person, a wonderful, loving father, a great big brother, uh, the king of rock and roll. But the tragedies and the realities of the human side of Elvis Presley cost him his life. And I said to myself, I can write this book, share the story, not to do a tell-all, 
but to communicate if it can happen to Elvis, it can happen to anyone. Therefore, I wrote the book, and as a result of writing the book, I created the Elvis Foundation, naming the charity after Elvis Presley and the spirit of Elvis' giving, because he was the ultimate giver, and then also drawing attention to the fact that if it can happen to the king of rock and roll, it can happen to anyone. So I know that's a handful, a mouthful, early this morning, but that's what we're doing, that's who I am, and that's what motivated me. What is the, um, you're motivated by, that's a great story, I love it, you're motivated by that. What is the purpose of this foundation? Who, why do we need this foundation? Well, I think that we're, we're, we're living in a society of uh, prescription drug abuse at the highest level. I mean, 78 people have died a day of prescription drug abuse. You know, uh, 15 million are affected by it every single year. 90% of the, uh, of the, the teen deaths in America on drugs are prescription drug abuse. And it's not just teens, it's adults as well. But, we're, you know, I grew up in a rock and roll society. I'm, I'm from the entertainment world. I mean, my, my whole life was growing up with Elvis Presley in the 70s and late 60s, all through the 60s and 70s, and, you know, touring with him and being around the rock and roll bands and rock and rollers. We lost Elvis, which was a tragedy. We lost Michael Jackson, which was another tragedy, which was a, was a, a carbon copy of Elvis' death. Prescription medication went from use to abuse and cost him his life. And most recently, we lost uh, Prince. And I thought to myself, two kings and a prince. I, you know, what can we learn from these tragic deaths? Superstars, phenomenal individuals who went down the path of addiction that cost them their lives. What can we learn from it? So I thought we can learn that, you know, through this celebrity-type background that I have, I can draw attention to this epidemic issue of prescription drug abuse in America today. It's not just America, throughout the world. So the purpose of it is to draw attention to the issue, you know, which means to bring it over, you know, raise awareness. The other thing is to uh, support foundations that are in existence that are fighting against and providing treatment for prescription drug abuse and sustaining a level of consciousness of, hey, this is a serious issue. This is a serious problem that is, is, a, is plaguing Americans today. Throughout, not just America, again, throughout the world, but it just so happens that the American, the U.S. seems to be the biggest problem. You know, the opiates that are out there and the overprescription drugs, prescribed medications are, are killing people daily. So it's an awareness situation, drawing people to it through the celebrity of Elvis Presley. Everybody knows who Elvis is. And it's important that when people read this book and hear my message, I'm not putting Elvis Presley down. I'm not saying he was a gun-toting drug addict. I mean, he, Elvis had a very serious drug problem that cost him his life on the 60s of August. People remember that, and they think you remember the great Elvis to go, look at the tragedy of the loss of Michael and Elvis and Whitney Houston and Prince and Inlet others. Uh, people are affected by this every single day. So I created the foundation as an awareness, support, do something, fight back, wake up people, we can save a lot of lives. Why you? Why are you called to this? Well, you know, I believe that God gives us all a gift. You know, I'm a believer. I'm not ashamed of my faith. Uh, I uh, believe that God gave me the gift of communication. I believe God put me in the grace of mansion for a reason, for a platform to be able to communicate my message. I mean, it's one thing to be related to Elvis Presley and others to say, what was that like? And, you know, joyfully tell them. But it's another thing to talk about the tragedies and what it cost him and what it almost cost me, because addiction is, was taking control of my life as well until I raised my faith and I overcame that. I was blessed by that to overcome 
me, I think we're all gifted. I think my gift was being related to Elvis Presley opens the door. And then God gave me the gift of communication to be able to share with authority, uh, with passion, uh, with purpose, you know, motivated by the fact that I could help save a life. I mean, when I cradled Elvis Presley in my arms, Hugh, on August 16, 1977, along with others in that restaurant the day he died, I had a wake-up call. His death was my resurrection. His passing was my wake-up call to my road to redemption. I embraced my faith and was able to overcome the things that killed him. But I'll never forget it. One, the loss, the hurt, the pain, the suffering of loss. Of not a king, but a guy who had picked me up 17 years before and said, Welcome to my family. And then others around me as a platform to be able to communicate. You've heard me speak. You've been in my functions. I've been in yours. We've worked together many times. And I'm always talking about, hey, I don't talk about Elvis Presley unless I can communicate a positive message. The positive message, unfortunately, lies in the tragedy of his death by taking away from the greatness of who he was, being set by the reality of his loss. So me, God picked me. This is my ministry. This is who I am. That's a profound statement. Now, you said it's the My Brother Elvis Foundation. Um, Correct. That would mean that if people wanted to support this vision that you have, that they could join as a, as a donor or a sponsor or provide grants for you. Where can they find out about My Brother Elvis? You know things about Elvis that nobody else knows. And you've said to me a few times that Elvis was a giver. He wrote, oh, yeah. wrote checks to support people. That's an important part of this legacy too, isn't it? Well, it, it goes back to what we discussed at the beginning here. You know, I was brought up with a giver. Now, Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll. He did 33 movies, silly but successful. He 
had countless records sold over a billion records sold, number ones, platinums, gold platinums, all, all it's, it's unlimited. Undisputed king of rock and roll, probably the most famous, probably the most uh, popular, iconic rock icon ever. But his thing was giving, back to what we were talking about. Elvis would see somebody walking down the street with no money and give him money. Elvis would give you a job. Elvis would buy you a car. Elvis would put your kid in college. Elvis would go to St. Jude's Hospital and give out teddy bears that were thrown on stage during concerts to the kids, writing checks to them all the time. He was, you know, God gives gifts to everyone. Elvis had obviously the gift of, of music, of melody in his heart and music. But his main gift was giving. Elvis always said, the only reason I got anything is to give it. And, and, and the spirit of that giving, I was brought up to give. This is my way to honor him from that perspective of giving what I've learned, what I've learned from him. I'm, I'm, I want to take on to not only my, my, my life, but others around me, my children. I teach and I always talk about the importance of giving. So the legacy will be left behind. When David Stanley's dead and gone, you know, they'll probably be on my grave to, you know, stepbrother to Elvis Presley, or the news will say the youngest stepbrother of Elvis Presley that. I'd rather if they're going to use that, the stepbrother of Elvis Presley leaves the legacy of the, the Elvis, my Elvis Foundation to reach and help, you know, prescription drug abusers throughout the United States and the world. I, it, it's a legacy to leave behind for my children, and long after my children's children are gone, that we're always giving in the spirit of giving to help others who can't help themselves, who others who are are, are lost in a needle, or lost in a bottle, or lost in a pill, or, or they're, they're lost in this abusive, uh, self-prescribed or prescription medication abuse uh, that we got to reach. And so, you know, I, well, I just want to, you know, David Staley, a couple of things. Nice guy, love the Cowboys, and gave, 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 gave. As popper as this book became, as many books as he sold, he gave portions of that to charity. He went on to start a charity, not to edify and lift me up, but to communicate, hey, we can all make a difference. I have a platform, Hugh, I'm going to use it. I'm going to reach millions of people, not for my glory, but for his. If you can save a life, amen. That's enough said. Well, and as we're, we're wrapping up here, I want to talk about David Stanley, the leader. And it, a lot of people have ideas. And there's only 3% of the population that act on those ideas. And 90% of those are not successful. And what, um, what I know about this project so far, I, let's just declare that uh, you and I are going to be working together, building it out. And part exactly. of, your, part of your, your wisdom in leadership is identifying what your skills are and what your gaps are. And so bringing in people who know how to fill those gaps is, in my book, a strong leadership trait, and as is transparency. You're, you're very clear that you don't know everything. You are so very clear that you're going to bring people and put people around you with a board, with advisors, with staff to, uh, to run this organization with your vision very clearly articulated by you. And I've heard you present a number of times, and you're very gifted at articulating your vision. So speak to that a little bit about um, the work we're going to do in building this sustainable organization. We're going to do a strategy. We're going to build uh, the right board and the right team. But where do you fit, and what is your primary leadership focus 
in making sure this thing goes to where your vision sees it to be? Well, I believe every every great thing is driven by vision. And, you know, God gives vision. And once you get a vision given by God, it's going to happen. I mean, I, it's, I've always believed that. I always will believe that. In my part of this, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm the visionary, seeing you know what it can do, what it will do. I'm also the spokesperson, driven by passion and purpose to make sure it does happen. Not driving it through, but doing the right things by delegating. By Hugh Ballou, uh, a, uh, a, a you know, or my strategic team, my board directors, my vision board, my accountants, my lawyers. Everybody involved has a part that makes this a reality. My part, I'm a spokesperson. I'm not an expert in addiction, but yesterday I met with an individual that has been an addiction specialist for over 30 years. He's an attorney. He's written books on it. He's done thousands of interventions. Uh, he's someone that you'll be meeting and will be in conference with later on this week, uh, somebody that will be a part of what we're doing. He's very aware of your part. He's very aware of the part I want him to have. And as we can already see within the structure of us communicating right now, we're putting the pieces together. You're the expert in strategy. You're the expert in taking this thing from page to stage, so to say, from the mind to the marketplace. And uh, to get the message out there is my job as a communicator to lay that groundwork such people such as you, the attorneys I'll be working with. Delegation is key. You know, it, too, too many people that fail have such ego, but they don't, they, their ego, you know, suppresses their results. They need to have a. They need to echo their success instead of have an ego of success. They need to embrace the reality is that they have a part. They take that part and turn it into that reality. They delegate the other portions of that to individuals. They're transparent. They're authentic. Uh, nobody knows everything, but somebody knows something. And if you don't know it, find somebody who does. I don't know strategic strategic planning like you do. That's why you're on board. I don't know treatment uh, uh, specialists. Uh, personally, that's why I meet them. That's why I've worked with attorneys and different individuals in this specific field that have turned this vision into a reality and reached literally millions of people. Awesome, awesome. Um, and that was the essence of the story in Transforming Power. You put together uh, a team of people to do the movie around your vision. As a um, concluding piece, um, when you speak uh, on a stage, you have this very powerful story at the end uh, around dream the impossible dream, and that that sort right. of that sort of uh, defines. You stepped up to Elvis and said, "Elvis, I need your attention about for this boy." What's the? Give us a little capsule about that story, and how does that relate? You're dreaming an impossible dream here, which you're going to pull off. I have no doubt. So, give uh, people who haven't heard that story, give us a little snapshot of well, that. that. I'm glad you asked that. I, uh, I had worked with Elvis for the last five years of his life, over a thousand concerts, everywhere Elvis went, I was there. We were in concert in Boston, Massachusetts. We were playing the Boston Garden. And I walked out on stage before Elvis, before the concert. You know, everybody was getting seated, everybody was settling in. And I'd walk out on the stage before all concerts and check the height of the stage, make sure security was in place. I mean, when I was to the concert, 500 young ladies would rush the stage, and two minutes later, 500 old ladies would rush the stage. I mean, it was an event. I mean, Elvis was the historical event of the evening. I mean, he everywhere he went. So I was checking all of this out. When I came off stage one night here, I uh, noticed to the left side the challenge section. Elvis made sure the less fortunate, the challenge that, you know, whether mentally or physically challenged or in any other capacity, 
there was always a section for them. And that spoke volumes to that Elvis right there at every concert that he did. That section was always provided. As I walked off stage, I saw a guy sitting in a wheelchair, and he was quadriplegic, and his arms were turned uh, inward, and his hands and arms and legs were turned in, and he was drooling, and he was in a wheelchair, and his parents were behind him, obviously excited to see, uh, you know, the show. Uh, but the boy was holding a frame in his hands, and in the frame, I looked at it and said, what is that? It's like one of those office legal frames. And I looked closer, and I noticed it was the lyrics to a song called Dream the Impossible Dream which is just a phenomenal song, Dream the Impossible Dream, Reach the Unreachable Star, Fight the Unfightable Foe, this is my story, this is my quest, no matter how hopeless, no matter how blessed, I will reach the unreachable star. Phenomenal song. But I read that, and at the end of the lyrics, I said, how odd is that to be, to have the lyrics of that song? But under the, the lyrics was a broken handwritten uh, signature saying, my impossible dream is to meet Elvis Presley. Well, I can make dreams come true in this case. When you can make a dream come true, you do. I mean, I'm Elvis's brother, I'm on tour with the King, I've had full access to the backstage area, full access to Elvis. I said, son, you're coming with me. And his parents said, where's he going? I said, I'll take care of him. Rolled him backstage, took him to Elvis's dress room, stopped at the dress room and looked at the policeman and said, keep your eye on this guy for a second. And I walked in Elvis's bed, uh, uh, dress room. Elvis was getting ready for the concert. He said, what is it, David? I said, I want you to meet somebody. He said, David, this is not the time. i got a concert. i got a show in five minutes. And I said, well, take a minute. He said, okay, this better be good. I rolled the guy in. I was sawing, fell on his knees, dropped his head on his lap, began to cry. But he was so overwhelmed that this crippled, broken man, you know, challenged person, wanted to meet him. Elvis just was overwhelmed by it. He fell on his knees, dropped his head in his lap, began to cry. And the guy took his broken hand and said, Elvis, I love you, Elvis. He still had the frame in his hand the whole time, which Elvis did not see yet. So finally, I looked at Elvis after about six or seven minutes. I said, boss, we got to go. We got to show it. He stood up, still crying. He wiped the tears from his eyes. He said, take care of my boy. Make sure he's got the best seat in the house. I said, you got it, boss. Rolled the guy out, uh, set him next to the stage. Elvis came out and did the show. I mean, Elvis walked out. 500 young ladies rest the stage. Two minutes later, 500 old ladies rest the stage. 20,000 flash bumps going off. The historical event was doing what it did best, entertaining the people. The boy was sitting next to me and just overwhelmed with excitement. Suddenly, Elvis looked at the conductor named Joe Gershow and said, Joe, dream the impossible dream. Now, mind you, Elvis had not seen the lyrics, had not seen what the guy's frame said. He, he went beyond that and went right to the guy and was just dealing with him. So they break into break the, 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 the song, The Impossible Dream. And towards the end of the song, I looked at a buddy of mine and said, help me out. We lifted the wheelchair and we put it on the corner of the stage. And Elvis saw him out of the corner of his eye and walked over and started singing to reach the unreachable star of the dream, the impossible dream. And it was just phenomenal. The guy's eyes were just lighting up. He was so excited. It was, it was a beautiful thing to see. And then suddenly Elvis hit that last note to reach the unreachable star, dropped on his one knee, and the guy, his hands torn and covered with scars, pushed the frame out. And Elvis finally saw it and took the frame from the guy. The song was over. All the spotlights went to black except one on the boy and one on Elvis. And in the thousand concerts I did with Elvis Presley, there was never not a standing ovation after a song. That night, the only thing you could hear, there was no standing ovation. The only thing you could hear was the teardrops dropping on the concrete floor of the Boston, Boston Gardens. And, it, and I said to myself, that, that's the impossible dream. It was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I say to people today, I saw Elvis make that boy's dream come true. 
It was one of the most godly acts I'd ever seen. And I asked people today, what's your dream and what's keeping it from coming true? And so with that story and the spirit of that giving, I've created the Elvis Foundation, uh, my brother Elvis Foundation, to help people reach their impossible dreams, to get their unreachable stars, and to turn their lives around and let them know that they're loved by God, by people, and there's much more to life than addiction and self-destruction. David Stanley, amazing. Thank you for sharing your stories today. Well, thank you, you. I'm looking forward to working with you, and we're going to reach a lot of people. And those who are going to read this article, thank you for reading it. And go to the ElvisFoundation.org and give, give, give. You can help us reach them. MyBrotherElvisFoundation.org. Thank you, David. Thank you, Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement, to maintain your donor base. It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. Wordsprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation, and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending WordSprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.